I really need y'all to imagine me saying enters of net in my best Sango voice. But hola, hello, welcome, happy new year, espero que todo está bien. I hate that it took Trump's most recent shithole comment to edit this episode. But for every reason, some people have to show that we are unwanted or a detriment to society. I will give you a reason as to why we matter. Exhibit A, my friend Evie, a Chinese-American woman who gracefully navigates being simultaneously fetishized and silenced in the workplace. We discuss being a woman in tech, her passion for design, and a life-changing bowl of monastery noodles. This is First Generation. together at a hospitality marketing agency. Um, So my background's in marketing and psychology, (coughs) but I currently actually just started a design program at School of Visual Arts in New York City in industrial design. Which is so fucking cool. It's so fun. Um, And I remember also, well, this was like, what, two years ago Mm -hmm. when we met? And you were really into urban planning. So is this kind of going to yeah, eventually evolve? Eventually. So I think when I was deciding on graduate programs, I was deciding whether to go back for urban planning or design. And I think urban planning is amazing, but there's a lot of bureaucratic bullshit that you have to jump through. And yeah. I don't foresee myself in that role and position working with local governments from that it sort of planning awful. level. No, it, I mean, it does and it doesn't, but I think I see myself working more on a design strategy level, potentially with other urban planners. Um, but bringing more of the design and creative perspective into it. Okay, so amazing. And we will get into that. Yay. Um, Mm -hmm. But I immediately wanted to dive into um, just because, or what's your background in terms of not so much work, but in terms of like just where your family's from, because this is first generation after all. So Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that. So both my parents are from Hong Kong. Um, They came here for college I think in the 80s. Um, so they both grew up in Hong Kong when, you know, it was like an interesting time in Hong Kong. My mom actually grew up very, very poor. Um, so she was one of five children and she basically grew up having to go and fetch water like uh, from like really far away to even just have clean water for the day. Um, my dad like was in a bit of a wealthier situation in Hong Kong, so he was a bit better off, but they actually knew each other growing up, which was kind of cute. Um, But then they came here for college uh, because I think Hong Kong had some sort of partnership with the U.S. in terms of sending students here. They came here, barely spoke any English, got a lot of shit during college. Um, My dad actually went on to pursuing a Ph.D. at Stanford in engineering. Total badass. He'll never tell you. (laughs) He's super quiet about it. Um, And then my mom went on to getting a master's degree from NYU Stern, being, uh, and then working on Wall Street. So being an Asian to work on Asian woman to work on Wall Street was a really really big deal. Like even today, it's kind of a big deal, but like back then, it was even a bigger deal. Um, But then they got married, had me. Hey. Hey. Um, 
But it was interesting growing up with Hong, like immigrants. Wow, can't talk. It was interesting. <laughs> More tequila. <laughs> More tequila. Um, it was interesting, like growing up where I did. Um, so I grew up in Maplewood, New Jersey, which is today known as quote unquote Brooklyn West. Really? Yeah. New York Times loves calling it that. They've <gasps> written several real estate articles on it. Yeah. Um, but when I was growing up, it was like a very diverse neighborhood, um, primarily black and Jewish, but almost no other Asians there, which was interesting. Yeah. So there was no one that looked like me. Um, but my parents actually ended up sending me to private school my entire life and in very, very white affluent neighborhoods. Um, so going to school, no one else looked like me. And that was an interesting experience to have. And I think I noticed it pretty early on because we were all always having events like multicultural day yeah. in which we had to bring like a food dish from our family's background. And I remember I hated being the sore thumb that stuck out, you know. Did you ever get like the smelly food comments? Fuck yeah, I got the smelly food comments. Yeah. Which is the worst. It's the worst. Well, it was weird. So, it, I mean, I think sometimes it stuck out in a good way. So I would always bring a thermos of pasta to school, but instead of, like, tomato sauce, it would be covered with soy sauce. Ooh. And is that yeah, good? I mean, no, it's fucking oh. disgusting. <laughs> but, like, I loved it growing up. And I think yeah. everybody else was really jealous of me because they were like, ooh, like, this is so much better than my sandwich. Yeah, it's way better than peanut butter and jelly. Right? PB&J sucks, though. It's really, I didn't realize how American it was. It's so American. And I mean, I'm not a jelly person, so I've never, I don't even like peanut butter on bread. I like my peanut butter yeah. wrapped in chocolate. Or like so like a, a Reese's cup. Yeah. Ooh, on apple, it's great. Delicious. Yeah, chocolate apples, but no. No. Otherwise, no. No. Um, but it was really interesting, like, going to school surrounded by these really, really, really rich white kids and then coming yeah. home and then having my parents be like, where did you, like, learn this? And where did you learn that? And I feel like all the slang that I picked up at school and brought back home, not accepted by the parents. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. All. Or, I'm, like, did you ever go to a white friend's home and see how they interacted with their parents and then tried to interact in a similar way with your parents and were quickly reminded that that does not fly in this house? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Same. All the time. I remember, so yes, I think going to a lot of my friends' houses, I would just realize that they interacted with their parents, like their parents were friends. Yeah. Versus their parents. There was no sense of hierarchy. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, they go with, I don't know, I have a whole lot of thoughts on American parenting, Um, but like, I don't know, they would come in and say they didn't want to like finish their food, and the parent would be like no, like, it's okay, like, you don't have to eat it, you don't have to eat anything you don't want to eat, and I remember if I had said that at the dinner table, my parents would have been like, no, you're gonna eat that, and you're not getting up until you eat it. There's a whole lot of people starving in China. Yeah. Like, think about how lucky you are. Absolutely. Um, and I remember, so Gilmore Girls was really popular. Yeah. While we were growing up. hmm And I remember my mom... Like, when she would catch me watching it, she would get so angry because she was like, I can't believe this show. I can't believe they're portraying this mother and daughter as being best friends. Like, that should never happen. Yeah. She was just so mad about it all the time. Yeah. 
Um, so when you mentioned that you were at school and you didn't see anyone like you, um, it really, it, and it's one of the questions that I had written for this interview that, uh, I think that one of the most underrepresented communities in media is the Asian community. Do you remember if, you, if this has happened to you at all, do you remember when you saw yourself in media? Crouching tiger, hidden dragon. <laughs> How did that feel? Which for you? is like literally the worst <laughs> portrayal ever. I mean, okay, so badass movie, everybody in it's super cool. Like, I don't know, there's like so much awesome Chinese culture in it, but it's like, you know, it was one of the first Chinese movies to really blow up in America, and yeah. I really think it made Americans look at Chinese people in a very certain light. Um, and, you know, it's just, like, another role that Chinese people are used to playing. It's, like, we're all kung fu masters for some fucking reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's either that or we're the sidekick or we die after the black guy dies. Like, it's, like, we're just, like, not never in an important role. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually really glad that it's being talked about now. I think now more than ever. Um, especially with, like, I don't know, the rise of crazy rich Asians, which mm-hmm. I personally haven't seen yet, which I'm really bummed about, but I just watched an interview with Constance Wu today. Which, who I love. I just want to give her a hug. She's fantastic. Yeah. Oh my God, she's so good. She's the best. I remember in an interview, she mentioned um, just always being asked by the person interviewing her to say something in, I'm not sure if she speaks like Cantonese or Mandarin, but to, or to say something in the accent that she uses mm. on Fresh Off the Boat. Oh, and yeah. She was just like, mm-hmm. no, absolutely yeah. not. Like, what? It's I'm like not a fucking so caricature. It's offensive. It's, it's extremely offensive, yeah. But I mean, like, there's also, like, other really big hit shows now, like Aziz Ansari's Master of None, which is, like, to me, so amazing because it's so incredibly normal. Yeah. You know, like, Asians were never allowed to be normal. But it's normal, but also unlike anything available right now. Right. Which is insane. Yeah. It's just, like, he's going on these dates. He's trying to be an actor. It's, like, his, like, simple yet, like, complex interactions with his parents. Yeah. So, it's great. The episode in season two that follows um, the deaf woman... And the yeah. building security or the building front desk guy, mm-hmm. like my favorite episode of the season, aside outside of the Thanksgiving episode. Those are my two favorite too. Which I really love. I think her name is Lena. Is it Lena? Um, Maybe not. I think it is Lena. I think so. Yeah. And her last name starts with a W, but I don't remember. Well, yeah, her name on the show is Denise. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But in person, it's like Lena, and uh, I'm. I'm obsessed with her. I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, she's great. Um, <laughs> and what are some of your frustrations just regarding, before we, I started recording, like, I brought up how you, when we did work together, you would talk about just, and not only talk about, but I would also witness you dealing with things that I don't have to deal with as someone who's not Asian. So what are some of um, your frustrations regarding just the stigma that Asian women are put up against? Ooh, are we talking about the professional world or just all the of real it. world? Let's and... blow oh, right. the fucking lid wide open. Ooh. 
All right. Well, we'll start with my favorite, which is the fetishization of Asian women. Which I've seen you go through firsthand. It's so so disgusting. It's like one of those things that's so disgusting and yet so accepted at the same time. And I feel like like Asian women are just supposed to laugh it off. Because what what the fuck else are we supposed to do? Yeah. I remember when I was, I think, 15 years old, I got on the train, New Jersey Transit, sat in a seat by myself. This guy behind me starts a conversation with me. And he's like, oh, hello. Where are you from? And I say, Maplewood, because I was on a New Jersey train. He said, no, but like, where's, what's your heritage? And he, I said, well, my parents are from Hong Kong. And then he goes, hmm, very exotic. Uh... I was 15 fucking years old. And that's the shit I mean, like, you have to put up with like, for years and years. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You just experience it everywhere, whether you're, you're like on a dating site, whether you're in a professional meeting. What's some of the stuff that you've had to deal with professionally? Well, I've worked in very predominantly white male spaces, particularly in the tech and hospitality world. You know, it's just being talked over every single meeting, kind of feeling like I have to scream all the time to even get like any sort of opinion heard so it's very frustrating yeah yeah you know like I really want to think it's not because we're not white and not men but we definitely had to put in 400% before we were even noticed like I feel like I feel like that consistently within just like the working professional world is that like I always have to put in way more effort than like a standard white male does yeah which is like crazy they're allowed to be so mediocre yeah ugh and let's face so it, oftentimes levels. it's, like, mediocrity it's, through yeah. and through. I don't know. Like, what? Like, I wish I could be mediocre. Right? Sometimes. And just, like, fucking sleep Born more. mediocre, live mediocre, yeah. die mediocre. And yet still, like, And then, like, have... make a shit ton of money. Right. And be an... Ugh. Okay. But yeah. you did mention the tech industry. And something yeah. that I really loved about working with you is that we kind of had this book club, even though oh, it yeah. was very one-sided, because I would borrow all your books. <laughs> And one yeah. of them was Lean Out by Elizabeth Shavinsky. I may have mispronounced that. Um, and it talks about, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there was Lean In, and this was her response to it. Correct. Um, and this was mostly, like, women, women of color, um, and just, like, the LGBTQ community within tech. So what are some of the things, outside of where we worked, because you've worked in other startups and other tech companies, what's some of the things that you've seen or experienced that were just, like, frustrating and unnecessary? Yeah, so I think think that book does provide a lot of different perspectives on lean-in and female or LGBT, like, any sort of, like, empowerment in the tech community away from the standard. Um... I don't know. My first job out of college was at an ad tech company, and every single executive there was a white male. Every single one. So there was literally no representation at all. And, like, I could, like, get into, like, a whole bunch of, like, budget stuff there. Like, basically, they were spending money on, like, strip clubs and, like, beer for the men and an Xbox. Beer for the women weren't No, I mean, like, beer Uh. for everyone, but, like, the women, like... Didn't yeah. drink as much of the beer. Also, there was an Xbox room, which was always dominated by men, of course. And it was super awkward walking in there as a woman, because, like, secretly, they didn't want any... I mean, not so secretly, they didn't want anyone in there. 
But it was just like, I think in that company, it wasn't so much on the surface as it was like indirectly there. So like, yes, like company budget where it was spent and then also the use of common spaces. A lot of those common spaces were dominated by men. Super weird for women to go in. And then actually when I was there towards the end of it, um, I think two of the female, they weren't management, but they were like lower management. They actually formed, I think just like a female alliance there. That's cool. It's cool, but at the same time, like all the men were left out of the conversation, which I think provides a safe space for women. But if we want any sort of change, yeah. the men, it has to come from the men as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Well, I also think it's really, it's been challenging to find men that are open-minded and are willing to listen. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if I was a white male, like, why the fuck would I listen? Like, you're like... But see, that's the reason why you should listen. I know. But I just feel like, you know, like, those who are in power don't like admitting that they're the ones in power because it means, you know, they're doing something wrong. And it potentially means that you have something to lose. Yeah. That, that, was, that was powerful. <laughs> so what inspired this transition into the design world? Yeah. Um, so I think since I was little, I've always been creative. Yeah. Um, I painted a lot in middle and high school. I did a ton of photography. When it came to college, even though I really wanted to go to school for photography, my parents wanted me to take a more quote-unquote practical route, mm-hmm. which, understandable. To my mother, there was pretty much only three professions. I could be a doctor, a lawyer, or a business person. Yep. <laughs> it was one of the three. And I don't blame her for that. You know, like, she It's a different up, time. Different time. Also, like, I feel like it's like the immigrant mindset. There's a set of rules that you're supposed to follow for yeah. success. And I think so many other immigrants and like immigrant families have followed this or at least put this on a pedestal. So that's what my parents wanted for me. I didn't go that way. <laughs> I, I guess I sort of compromised with them by studying psychology in college. Um, and then from there, I, ended, I just randomly landed in marketing pretty much the day I got out of school. And I've been in marketing for the last few years across various industries, including ad tech, beauty, hospitality. Oh, God, so many things. But I got super tired of selling things creatively. Yeah. Um, Especially on social media. Especially on social. Like, I feel like... So I've been always, like, the creative side of marketing for the most part. And it's been amazing because I get to work those creative muscles and create awesome campaigns. I get to create collateral come up with content, streamline messaging, etc. But at the end of the day, I'm basically just selling air to people who yeah. can't afford to buy air, but I'm basically tricking them to buy air. Yeah. Which is just it's total shit. Like I hate Yeah, also how does it. how does a serum and how does a sushi burrito impact the world positively? It doesn't at all. We don't need sushi burritos. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like basically just like creating more shit in the world that people yeah. don't need and then selling that shit at a certain price so that the company that you're working for can make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... That they're not going to pay you. Right. <laughs> Pretty typical. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a standard. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then I think 
actually, though, being in marketing world did help me discover design, which was great. I think actually since day one of my professional career, I was working with designers. So at my first job, I was managing designers. Um, and then all my other jobs after that, it was as well. So that was great. But I was always so jealous of them. Like, they got to create all this beautiful stuff, and I did feel bad for them because all their design work was always dictated by marketing and by metrics, Um, but I kind of realized that that's the direction that I wanted to go in. Um, And so the program that I'm doing now is focused on product design and 3D product design. It's really interdisciplinary, so we do some actual 3D product modeling by hand. So I've been working with, like, a ton of tools, which is really awesome. That's great. Yeah, so I, like, cut wood with these crazy saws that can cut your arms off. Yeah. Um, And we have, like, a lot of other, like, theory Mm. classes as well. We have a class at Frog Design, and they're, like, a really big deal. So that's exciting. Um, but yeah, just like creating stuff. I actually thought I would create really useful stuff, but everything <laughs> I've created so far is really happy and fun, which is surprising which is useful. to me. It, it's like surprisingly useful. People so, keep saying millennials are depressed. People yeah. keep saying millennials are changing the game like in a negative way. And why not? I feel like all we want to do is be happy. And we do that in so many different ways. Right. And I think that's great. There's nothing wrong with, like, making shit that makes you happy. I mean, everything that I've been making is millennial colored. Yeah. It's like everything's, like, pastels. And I'm like, this is surprising. Yeah. Kind of, but maybe not really. Maybe not. There's just, like, something, whatever is, whatever you're feeling is coming out. And I think that's fucking great. Yay. (laughs) Okay, so what are the design concepts Uh, I guess that you're learning or that you have already learned that you want to apply to real life or that can be applied to real life? Whoa, that is like a really big question. (laughs) Yeah, but it it was honestly the first question that I wrote down when I was thinking of questions for you. Wow, this is hard because I'm a very like not theoretical thinker. I just like, it's like, I just like end up doing things and I don't talk about it. But like, what's something that you've done design wise? Because if we're going to merge the world of design with the world of urban planning, mm-hmm. like what can be done to like benefit the greater good? Yeah. Okay. So I can talk about a project that I recently finished for one of my classes. It's called Peachy. Peachy? <laughs> it's called Peachy. It's pretty silly. So it actually started off as a trivial problem. So we were supposed to come up with something in our lives that was like a meaningless Thing that we had to deal with. So mine was actually my roommate, who is amazing, but she leaves her shit everywhere. Yeah. So leaves her clothes in the dryer, you know, leaves dishes in the dishwasher, etc. So I came up and created an app and a physical product that sort like that go together, um, that actually help reward good behavior. So that basically when she like leaves dishes in the sink, I w- I'm able to like take a photo and send it to her. And she'll, like, know to come back and clean them. And then when she does do that, then, like, she'll send a clean photo to me and I can approve it. Then she gets a cookie from this little cookie dispenser that I designed. So, sounds really trivial and really silly. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, it's peach colored. This is fun. It has an impact on a single apartment, potentially other single apartments. But I was like, I really want it to be something more. Um, So then I thought about integrating political action into it. 
and integrating a simple action such as calling your representative into the app so that you and your roommate are accountable for calling your rep on a regular basis because those things are actually tracked and those things are tallied by that representative's office. Um, and it's actually a really great way for political change, especially in this day and age, which is like, there's so much fucking shit out there. Yeah. Um, That's also really cool for the people that feel that they their vote doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, so there's like an in-app tracker for that. This is really hard to do without visuals, I realize. I mean... I have visual, I can send them to I'm, you, but... I'm into it. Yeah. It's at, uh, When you first said it, I also thought about it could be really cool so something happened to me maybe two months ago where I was meeting a friend for dinner and it was pouring rain and all I had was a hoodie Mm -hmm. and I was getting drenched walking um a couple blocks no more than a couple blocks and um a woman and I were walking in the same direction and she shared her umbrella with me. Aww. And she was significantly shorter than me. So I knew she was sharing when I saw like her arm almost completely upright holding the umbrella. That's and super I was lovely. like that was the kindest thing a stranger has ever done for me. And it has really affected the way that I interact with other strangers. Mm-hmm. And um Peachy could be really cool in terms of acts of kindness, which I don't think you sh- you need to be rewarded when you're doing something so great, but if someone witnesses it yeah, and sees that, like, totally. you get a cookie. Yeah, there's so many psychological concepts, like, behind that. It's, like, I forget yeah. what exactly that term is. It's, like, I mean, it's just, like, observation, like, learning by observation. Yeah. So PG's actually built on the psychological concept of operant conditioning in which... Um, learned behavior is based on consequences, whether good or bad. And then through my research for that project, I found that women are actually more likely to learn behavior when they're rewarded for good behavior versus men who learn from fear of punishment. Interesting. Yeah. It's also like so just like mind-blowing because it's such a simple concept, but it's like Hmm. Like if there were like only like a few shifts in the world, yeah. Like certain systems that exist already, like peachy could also be used for creating just a greener world. Like yeah, for doing if you recycled, if your roommate recycled, Mm -hmm. you can take a picture of it and reward them for that, or just like at work, you could use peachy at work when you guys are trying to be more clean, more green. Well, it's, like, kind of, like, breaking things down to that simple interaction and, like, using the technologies that we have today. So, like, PG's really easy. Like, so there's that photo-taking thing, and you're basically just sending photos. So it's not it's not groundbreaking technology, but it's just using those existing technologies in new ways. Um, so that's, like, one portion of design that just, you know, you just, like, learn how to think about things at all these different angles and how they can be harnessed for a different cause that maybe no one else has thought of yet. I think that's amazing and I can't wait to download it yay (laughs) at the app store at the app store not on the app store yet (laughs) but maybe it will be and is there like is there a goal and and if you I could totally understand not wanting to talk about it if I'm the type of person like if I have a goal for like years down the road I may not want to talk about it to not jinx it but in terms of what you're working on now with the things that you see yourself being able to work on later on in life, mm-hmm. is there, is there a goal? Wow. 
Wow, I don't know. I feel like I get this question a lot, and I have, like, more of, like, a feeling of where I want to go, and, like, yeah. I have a What's feeling, feeling I'm going in the right direction for yeah. this. I relate to that a lot. Right? Right now, in this very moment. I feel yeah. like, I think it's, like, I feel like it's bigger than me, so I can't really yeah. synthesize it but into you know words. But this is I'm your destiny. 100%. But, but you know what's funny is that I think during my, like, second week of school, you know, I told, like, I think my boyfriend Justin about this and a bunch of other people, I was like, I don't know if I want to be a designer. And this was, like, my second or third week of school. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. I love everything that I'm learning, and it's amazing. But I don't know if I want to do this, like, day to day. But I think, still think this skill set and this way of thinking is extremely useful. Um... I don't know. I think I see myself more in like a creative director role and working with designers and creative people and helping empower those people. Yeah. I can't wait to see what it becomes. And this is my favorite part Mm. of every interview. Okay. um, Where we just talk about food. (laughs) Yes. I love talking about food. We had a dim sum song and I forgot it. We had a dim sum song? I may have had a dim sum song. (laughs) Don't you remember? No. No? I feel like we, when it was time to go get dim sum, I would sing a song. Oh. Maybe not a very good one. Wait, we did always go to that dumpling place, Mm. though, that I've been to a few times Mm. within the past few months. Really? I dream about those dumplings. Is it still good? Yeah, of course it's still good. I dream more about the peanut butter noodles. That's so good. There's something about their soy sauce that's different than every other soy sauce. I have no idea what they do to it. Oof. What, do you remember what it's called so we can let my 20 listeners know? Yeah, it's called Shoot. That was actually complimenting myself. It's really <laughs> just me and my mom that listened to this. I will listen to it. Thanks. Um, it's called Shujiao Fujiao Cuisine. Okay. So it's not, so it's interesting because they don't actually speak Mandarin or Cantonese, which are the two most dominant dialects of Chinese. I, I believe they speak a different dialect called Fujianese, which is like special to that region. Um, and so is the food that they make. It's really specific to that region. Interesting. But it's so good. It's really... And I love that they only have, like, seven things on the menu. Yeah. The pork and jive dumplings. Could not go wrong with that. What else? They have the wonton soup. The wonton really soup. Good. No, that is my favorite wonton soup I've ever it's had. It's delicious. It's so good. And the peanut butter noodles are really... There's something about them that really, like, weigh you down. But... They're heavy. They're delish. Mm-hmm. Deloish, as I like to say. That sounds disgusting. But <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, they're four dollar lunches. Oof. Cash only. Let's not forget that. That's part. okay. Um but what um do you because I remember you telling me like you going back to Hong Kong and like mm-hmm. the different traditions that you do there and you and I constantly go on and on and on and on and on about dumplings. Um, it's one of my favorite cuisines. I believe it's one of your favorite cuisines. I love dumplings and noodles. I'll <laughs> eat them all fucking day. Can you give me like a dim sum 101 and like, cause I know that there's a specific set of etiquette. There's a specific set of tradition and like, just educate us. Um, so there's like, there's dim sum and then there's like Shanghainese food, which is like my favorite. Which is like, they're famous for soup dumplings. Soup dumplings, noodles, everything. Like it's a little bit, um... It's a lot like soup-based stuff, which I love soup. Yeah. 
I'll eat soup dumplings all day. They have been so fucking gentrified here. Yeah. But Do like, you they recommend are so the ones good. from Joe's Shanghai? That was like the they, first one that I discovered, but mm. now I feel like it's like. Okay, meh. so I love Joe's, even though they're very touristy, just because it's one of those like classic New York experiences, yeah. and there's like a lot of history there. Um, so you know, you go in, you have to share a table with a whole bunch of people you don't know. I love how tourists are super put off by it, but it's, like, still really fun. Which I feel like that's also a dim something. Yeah. You you just share. Like, yeah. sharing things. I think it's funny because it's, like, super un-American to share things. Yeah. We're really territorial over... I am super territorial over what is what I consider my space. Right. It, it's also, like... America's crazy individualist. Yeah. And I think it really comes out in the way that Americans eat versus the way that I grew up eating with my family. Like, just, like, family style. There's just, like, I don't know. I never really got to choose when I was growing up. And, like, yeah. visiting Hong Kong and visiting my relatives, they would just put a whole bunch of stuff in front of me, and we were all just supposed to share it. How does that change when you're in Hong Kong and you're eating out there versus eating out here? Um, I have a lot less control when I'm in Hong Kong. I feel like here, like, I always love ordering stuff, but, like, Hong Kong, I'm with all my relatives, and, like, they're older than me, so I just, like, let them choose, you know, because that's how it is. Like, you let the older person choose because there's so much respect for elders there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of just get told where to go a lot in Hong Kong, which is okay. I get to, like, eat all this amazing stuff. But in terms of, like, I would really love to dive deeper into... Because you said that Shanghainese... Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Shanghainese cuisine is your favorite. It's my favorite. So, what, like, what does it entail? What are some of the really delicious dishes? So we can go back to soup dumplings, I guess. <laughs> Which are really weird, I feel like. In they're terms delicious. Of like, they're great. Yeah, but you know how they're made, right? No. Fill me in. They're... So they're made by creating these little gelatin cubes of pork broth. Ooh, and then okay, like you had me at pork. Yeah, so then they're put in those dumpling skins, and then they're put in boiling water, and the pork gelatin essentially mm. melts, which sounds kind of disgusting, but they're so I'm into good. It. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of it. Um, my other favorite one is, it's called Mabo Daofu. Mm-hmm. So it translates as Mabo Tofu. Mm-hmm. Which, have you had it before? No. So, I feel like you would love it. It's just like this amazing... I'm not a tofu fan, though. But the sauce is so Okay, I'm in it for the sauce. It's like, like, kind of like chili-ish sauce. It's like, so you can either have a vegetarian or it comes with like ground pork and it's like all mixed in together and it's just like this really heavy, spicy, like tofu dish. What's it called? Mapo tofu. Mapo tofu. I just realized it's probably not Shanghai. It's Sichuan. So, like, between... Sorry. It's, like, all over. Because, you know, like, okay, so, like, American Chinese food and American restaurants are super different from what you'll get in Hong Kong. Yeah. So, here in New York, you'll get, like, a Shanghainese restaurant or you'll get, like, a Sichuan restaurant. And then you'll get those American restaurants that are just, like, literally everything under the sun that just pull all of those favorites from each menu and mash them together. What's your favorite, like, Americanized restaurant? Ooh. Um, I love, are we talking like New York fusion Chinese or like... Sure. New York fusion Chinese. Ooh, I immediately thought Mission Cantina. 
Ooh, I don't like Mission Cantina. I only... We went there, right? We did. Yeah. With that a strange awful. group of people. It was so awkward. It was um, super awkward. <laughs> but I remember eating this, like, thing that was spectacular. Really? Mine was yeah. not spectacular. Did, I wonder if you and I had the same thing. It was, um, it was Momofuku chicken, fried mm. chicken, with, like, dried seaweed skin or salmon skin from... What's the famous bagel place? Uh, Russ and Daughters? Yeah, they have great bagels. And it's kind of close by to Mission Cantina. Um, And it was like almost made in like a... I don't even know what the fuck that is. It's like similar to like a Taco Bell thing. Like a... Not a fajita, like a gordita. (laughs) I don't know. It was like squished flat. What? And yeah... It, it was delicious. It was what? so good. Okay, it was really heavy. I had, yeah. I had their, delicious. like, general charge chicken, and I was like, no, this is sad. <laughs> Although, I really do love general charge chicken, which is a whole other story in and of itself. Yeah, which there's a whole documentary on it. Yeah, have you seen it? Mm-hmm. I also met I Jenny it. A. Lee. She's really? interesting. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, what would you say is your death row meal? <sighs> Last um, meal on earth. Last meal on earth. Okay, so this... So I've only had this once in my life. <laughs> but I think about it on a daily basis. So I was at a monastery in China, in Yunnan province, which is the southwest of China. It is beautiful there. It's just, like, very mountainous. Just the landscape is incredible. Um, so I was in a tiny village called Shashi. And I stay in a monastery there. And just one day during lunch, they just gave me this bowl of noodles. And it was, like, nothing really special. But it was just, like, so good. I have never had a better bowl of noodles in my life. And what was it called? I think it's... So they've actually recently brought it here to New York. So there's all these Yunnan places popping up. I still have yet to try one, but I'm excited to. Though it definitely won't be as good as that bowl. Um, it's called Mishan, okay. which basically means, it, it's like not a special name. It means noodles from that specific region. Interesting. Yeah. So okay. like, it's, I want to yeah. try it. Not but sanctuary. Thing. Wait, no, monastery. monastery. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. It's that was tequila. also a crazy experience Oh, tell me about that then. It was, oh my God, it was like, it was a while ago. I think it was when I was 17. What? Yeah. It was, it was beautiful. I, like... And you were solo? No, I was, like, on one of those, like, group trip things, and we were helping build a school. So okay. It was one of those. That's awesome, though. Yeah. But that bowl of noodles. So good. How do I say it again? Mishian. Mishian. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yum. So good. I'm hungry. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I also, think... you live really close to a Cuban restaurant. That's... Which one? It's in Gowanus, and it's called My Cuban Spot. It's just called My Cuban Spot. That's I love, I love when restaurants just have such like matter of fact um, names. That, which is a very Chinese restaurant it's thing to do. Totally, it's like nice very good food restaurant. Yeah, great restaurant. Great service. Good noodles. Yeah, fast <laughs> delivery. <Yeah. laughs> and lo and behold, they're never wrong. This is and true. I saw something on Twitter that's like, have you ever seen a commercial for a Chinese restaurant? I have not. Do restaurants do commercials? 
Oh my god, I, I mean, don't watch yeah. TV ever. Oh, I haven't. I guess I really just see the ones for like Applebee's. Exactly. Because they need advertising. Oh my god, so true. Because they very sell nice so much. food doesn't need advertising because you is get true. exactly it's in and of what you saw. That's very actually, nice food. Ooh, that is such like a great marketing piece that right? you could write. It's like lessons to learn from the titles of Chinese restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd All right, and that's it. This yeah. is super fun. Thanks. Yeah. My glass is empty, so I'll cheers you with some water. Okay. Thanks for giving me a tequila for that. Thank you for listening to episode three of First Generation, the number one podcast according to your abuela. This episode was brought to you by people who believe in seasoning their food, my crippling anxiety, and my new mantra, Tu no me manda. Hasta la próxima.